Uh, our scripture reading today is from Romans chapter 7, starting at verse 14. And I'm just going to warn you, especially as a guest speaker who you have no relationship with, um, it, it might feel a little heavy right out of the gate, but hang with me, right? Hang with me. Okay, so here we go, starting at verse 14 in Romans 7. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to carry out what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do. For the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. Now, if I do, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Like I said, that hits a little heavy right out of the gate. Um, and, and I hesitated for just a moment to, to bring this particular message today because I thought, who shows up to somebody else's church and then preaches about sin, <laughs> right? Uh, and the Lord said, nope, this is what I want you to do. So here we are. The good news is we're going to take kind of a, a lighthearted approach uh, to sin. That sounds really counterintuitive, but trust me. Um, so let me let me start by saying uh, I used to be before I've been a pastor almost ten years, and before I was a pastor, uh, I was a teacher. There are actually a couple people here uh, who were families at the school I used to teach at Paragon. I was there for ten years. They taught um, various grades, uh, first, second, fifth grade, and then I was an administrator for a little while. Uh, and in that time. Uh, you know, that's when like pedometers started getting popular and before like smartwatches counted your steps and all that. And, and so we, as a staff, we went through this season where we did like step contests, right? And we all wore our pedometers and tried to clock how many steps we got in a day. And now like counting steps is, it seems like 90% of the world is counting their steps. Well, it was really easy for me as a first and second grade teacher to get 11,000 steps in before three o'clock in the afternoon because uh, early elementary teachers, they just don't sit down um, all day. And even though my classroom was only like 30 by 30 feet or less, um, you just covered a lot of miles walking back and forth and around in circles and around desks and stuff. Then I became a pastor. And instead of being on my feet for seven hours a day, I was in a seat for seven hours a day. And the insurance that, that we have at our church, um, I had to fill out this, like, I have to fill out this healthy living survey thing every year uh, so they can tell me how healthy I'm not and then, you know, adjust my premiums accordingly. And uh, I had to, like, when it was like, how many hours are you at a computer? How many hours are you sitting? How many hours are you at a desk? How many hours are you active? All of that kind of stuff. It told me uh, the first year I took it, 
uh, after I'd been a pastor about a year, it said, your lifestyle is sedentary. And I was like, ooh, I don't like the way that feels at all. Sedentary. After clocking 11,000 steps a day by three o'clock, I, I went from that to, to sedentary. And I, and I had to put in extra work and intentionality to get to 10,000 steps by like 9 p.m., you know, uh, after I after I just changed jobs and in, in the nature of the job. Well, I thought I want to change that, right? I want to eat better. I, I want, I like, I well, kind of, I like running for about four weeks um, and then I don't like it anymore. I like the idea of running, I think more than I actually like running. Um, I want to eat better or I like the idea of eating better. Uh, I want to drink more water. I actually do love water. Um, I just don't drink enough of it. Um, <clears throat> but the problem is, I, in addition to sitting a lot, um, I, I really like food. Um, I love food. There, there aren't a lot of foods that I don't like, except for the ones that are the best for me, right? So green vegetables, superfoods, like that kind of stuff. I don't love that stuff. Um, and so the problem is uh, I would just, I was sitting a lot and then I was eating lots of Mexican food and pizza and ice cream um, and, and doctoring up my coffee with all kinds of stuff that took what is like generally a, a fairly healthy drink and making it generally not very healthy at all. Um, well, the food service industry or the food industry, I guess, particularly the fast food industry, they know that like, I'm not alone. I'm not the only person by any stretch of the imagination that loves food, right? And the fast food industry also knows that uh, we are a busy society. Uh, there, there are lots of things competing for our attention. So convenience is king when it comes to food. So if I can, if I can zip through a drive-through, uh, and now like convenience and speed is so king that like there are two in most fast food restaurants, you can pull up to one of two places to place your order and then pull up to the window to get your order, right? And pay for it. Um, so they, they make food available fast, but I, I heard once you can have, there are three factors at play in any given product and you can have two of the three all the time, but you can never have all three. Um, it's fast, cheap, and good. So you can have it fast and cheap, you can have it fast and good. You can have it cheap and good. You can have it cheap and fast, but you can't have it fast and cheap and good. And when we think about fast food and, and how healthy it is for you, boy, is that true. Well, you may recall uh, from a few years ago, several years ago at this point, I didn't look up the date. It's probably 20 years or more by now. There was a documentary that, that was pretty popular um, called Supersize Me. And, and if you don't remember or you never heard of it, like really quickly, the, the premise of the documentary was there was a guy who ate McDonald's, only McDonald's, three meals a day, every day for, I think it was a whole year. No, just 30 days. It was for 30 days. And um, he just monitored his health and the effects that eating only fast food had on his health over the course of those days. And um, it was not good. It was not good at all. Um, he gained a ton of weight. He became very lethargic. He, his risk of diabetes increased substantially, like all kinds of really negative, uh, health ramifications. Um, and, uh, that like got people thinking a little bit about like how healthy is this stuff and how much should I be doing it, uh, eating it, indulging in it. Cause you know, I don't know very many people that eat out at a McDonald's three meals a day, every single day. It was kind of 
an exaggerated experiment, but still, right? Well, McDonald's, uh, they didn't respond to the documentary with this, but not too long after that documentary documentary came out, they changed their uh, their verbiage around the sizes of their things. So the, the documentary is called Supersize Me because that was at the time where you could say, would you like us to supersize that? And then they gave you bigger fries and a bigger drink, you know? Well, McDonald's, they just changed this, the names of their sizes. So they took the supersize and they made it the large. And then they, what was their large became the medium and what was the medium became the small and what was the small just went away. And so now when you go to McDonald's and you, do, or you order a large, it's what used to be the supersize. Now when you go and you order a medium, it's what used to be the large. And that spread to other fast food places as well. So even to this day, like when I hit a drive-through and they're like, would you like that? What size would you like that meal to be? And I'm like, I don't know, medium. And I still have the old medium in my head. So when they hand me out like a 64 ounce um, soda, I'm like, uh, that's a medium. That's right. Um, Wendy's, Wendy's did away with biggie sizing. So it was super size at McDonald's and it was biggie size at Wendy's and they did the same thing. And uh, Burger King used to have king size and they did away with it too. And so now we're back to just small, medium, large. It's just everything is bigger. And I thought of this just this morning, if anybody in here is a fan of the show Parks and Rec, but they have a whole episode where they, they talk about how bad um, pop is for you. And, uh, and they were like, look at the large drink from the local fast food places. And it's like a gallon of pop. It just made me think of this. So anyway, um, so if you like Parks and Rec, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, that was a waste of 10 seconds of your life. And I'm sorry. Um, so uh, like I said, no more of uh, would you like that supersize? This is just the new normal. And it was done in the name of value. And I think we as a call, I mean, we didn't have a choice in it except to order smaller sizes. But so many people are like me that they just kept ordering the same size that they always have, that we find ourselves eating more of this stuff that's not so great. Well, you know how it goes. The busyness of life comes in and it, and it prompts us to go... Yeah, I bought groceries for healthy dinners and uh, I should I should run home and I should make this dinner and I can even make it quick, um, but I don't, but I just don't have time. So I'm just gonna run to McDonald's. And then you, in your head, uh, many of us, right? I'm just gonna run to McDonald's. Well, that's not, but that's not good for me. Like, I know it's not healthy. Uh, yeah, but it's convenient. Yeah, but it's gonna save me time. Yeah, but it's on the way. Yeah, but I don't wanna be late. And so I'm just, I'm just gonna go. And then convenience wins out. So they, what size would you like? And you're sitting there in the, in the drive-thru and you're like, well, I mean, I'm here, might as well, right? So you get the bigger fries, you get the bigger drink, whatever. And for me, several times when I would hit a drive-thru, um, I would pull up and, and, and I'm repeating this like phrase in my head the whole time I'm driving up to that window to place my order. I'm like chicken salad and a bottle of water, chicken salad and a bottle of water, chicken salad and a bottle of water. You get to the window, um, yeah, what can we do for you? Uh, what would you like today? Uh, yeah, I'd like a number one, substitute onion rings, cherry Coke, two apple pies, a chocolate shake. What size? Oh, make it a large, why not? Every single time, <laughs> right? Uh, and maybe you all have better like self-control than I do, but like literally, that's kind of how it played out for me consistently uh, time and time again. No matter how little we want to admit it, um, we're kind of drawn in by the convenience factor and by like, I, I have this debate with my kids all the time. Um, 
have an 18 year old and a 14 year old and, and they think McDonald's tastes good. And I don't like, I'm at a point I'm picking on McDonald's. Let me just say, I don't have a beef with McDonald's. Okay. Um, they're just like the quintessential fast food place. So fill in the blank with any fast food restaurant and it all applies. I'm just picking on McDonald's. Um, so they don't, they don't claim to be healthy. My kids say it tastes good. I say it doesn't. Um, I, for some reason with McDonald's in particular, I can go, yeah, that I just, just, it's just unhealthy. And then I have to extrapolate that out to all of these other restaurants. Um, but McDonald's doesn't claim to be good for you, right? They don't have commercials that say, this is like a part of your, they used to do this with cereal, which was like a total life, part of a balanced diet. Um, yeah, like carbs and sugar um, that turns your milk into candy, part of a balanced diet. I don't, I don't think so. But McDonald's doesn't make that claim. Um, they, they serve an assortment of frozen food that was prepared by either frying it in grease or reheating it in essentially a microwave and then handing it to you in a paper bag. They never claim that these burgers and these fries, like these are good for you, but it tastes so good. Or at least my kids would say it tastes so good for like six minutes. And then regret sets in and the sum, the, your stomach orchestra starts warming up its instruments. And then you're like, why did I do this again? Or why did I substitute the onion rings at Burger King? Or why did I get the shake at Culver's? Or why did I whatever? And then we go back and we do it all over again. And then we regret it. And then we go back and we do it over again. And we eat every single bite. And I don't know about you, but when I'm eating this stuff in the car, especially by myself, it's amazing how fast the food disappears, right? Like I'll be in the car by myself and I'll reach into the bag to get whatever thing is next that I'm going to eat only to find there's nothing in the bag. And I look around the car like who ate my food, but I'm the only one in the car, right? Because in the moment, at least, uh, as much as I'm like, it doesn't taste good. It doesn't taste good. I enjoy it or I at least inhale it uh, in the meantime. And then I go back and I go back and then I stand in front of people like this and I say, um, but it's not good for you, but I still go back. It doesn't even taste that great, but I still go back. Some places I will say, I do love a bacon cheeseburger from Culver's, right? Can I get an amen? Right? <laughs> um, so so I'm, not, I'm not hating on all fast food either because there are places that I quite enjoy. Anyway, uh, so, so we eat, we eat the food regardless of how good it tastes or how good we know it's not for us. And we just, we just can't say no. Well, I think there's something in us that longs for that, which we know we're not supposed to have, right? Now, maybe it's, I think maybe that the idea of convenience, uh, and affordability is just kind of like an excuse that gets us there. But even though we know this stuff isn't good for us, there's something inside of us that just wants it. That's totally me, like with ice cream, 100%. I would eat ice cream every day, probably a couple of times a day if it didn't have such bad health ramifications. But like, I love ice cream and I know it's not good for me, but I always want more of it. There's something inside of me that just wants it. Um, and it's not just food. My, my example here is food, but it's not just food. There are other things in our lives that are not good for us that we keep going back to over and over and over again, regardless of what they are. My son, Elijah, who's 18 now, I remember when uh, he first wanted to start drinking coffee. Now he's, 
grew up in a house where we had coffee going all the time. Like I love, I love coffee. Coffee is my comfort food. I, I uh, drink coffee in the morning because I like the warm drink and I, it helps me wake up a little bit, but I also like the taste of it. Um, when I'm stressed out, I find myself going, I just need a cup of coffee. I'm working on that. But um, I just love, I love coffee. I go to it all the time. So he grew up around it. He learned to appreciate the smell of it in the morning around the house. So he says to me, dad, I want to start drinking coffee. So I said, why? And he says, I think I might like it. Makes sense. He saw me enjoying it on a regular basis. Uh, and I said, doesn't matter. You're Tim. <laughs> but I really want to have some, he said. And in that moment, uh, coffee became my son's McDonald's, right? So like I said, I'm picking on McDonald's. I'm using McDonald's as my kind of like example, uh, my model for this, but uh, he wanted it more. Uh, he wanted it regardless of like its purpose. He wanted it regardless of its value. At 10 years old, you don't need caffeine. Well, we should never need caffeine, right? But like he didn't need coffee. And I knew like, he's not going to want to drink that. Like he doesn't like bitter things. And so in order to drink it, he's going to have to fill it with cream and sugar. And, and then it's really not going to be healthy for him. So it's, you, you don't, you don't need it. You don't need it. And he kept asking for years. And eventually when he was a teenager, I was like, you know what? Go ahead. Like monitor it yourself. <laughs> he didn't like coffee <laughs> and he still doesn't drink it to this day. Uh, so I think that's funny anyway. Uh, so the thing is, he knew what, he, by the time he was a teenager, he knew caffeine, like you got to be really careful how much caffeine you ingest. Cause if you have too much, it's not good for you. Um, he knew like, this isn't the best thing for me, but like culturally we're kind of obsessed with coffee. And so, uh, he's like, I don't know, all of my friends are always drinking coffee. I see my parents drinking coffee all the time. I think I want it. Was it going to add any value to his life? No. Was it going to be good for him? Not necessarily. Uh, was it going to be bad for him? Maybe not if he took it in moderation, but eventually um, he was able to let it go because eventually he got to the place where he was like, okay, this isn't like, I don't really care for this. But that took, that took years, like literally from when he was 10 until when he was about 17, he thought he wanted coffee all the time because there was this thing inside of him that just kept saying, you want that, you want that, you want that regardless of how much I told him he didn't. Well, if coffee became my son's McDonald's, that thing that even though it's not good for him, even though it doesn't add value to his life, even though it may create some issues that he doesn't really need to or want or will want to deal with, he kept wanting it. So um, I mentioned ice cream is my McDonald's. It's the thing that I want all the time, uh, even though it doesn't add value to my life, even though if I have too much of it, it's not good for me. Um, I just enjoy it. Uh, my question for you today is what's your McDonald's? What's that thing in your life that doesn't add value to your life that you know, like in excess, it's not, it's not good for you. Um, it could cause problems for you. Even just the littlest bit. There are some things in our lives that we want that instantly there are negative ramifications. Like doesn't take excess, right? But instantly. So what is it? Maybe it's actually McDonald's. <laughs> Maybe it's Starbucks. Maybe it's Facebook. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe it's a legitimate addiction to something. Maybe it's how you use your words. Like maybe you use your words in a way that aren't edifying of others, that don't add value to other people's lives, that don't add maybe the words you use about yourself 
don't add value to your life and aren't healthy for you. Maybe it's sin. Like scripture says, the Lord says through his word, don't do this. This is something I do not want for your life. This is not what holy living looks like. And you do it anyway. Or maybe he says, uh, do this and you don't do it because you're like, I don't want to make that sacrifice. God, I don't want to go there. And, and you do the opposite of what God wants. That's sin, right? You know what God wants for your life and you do the opposite anyway. You know that's not good for you. You know it doesn't add value to your life. You know that it's not going to draw you closer to the Lord. You know it's not going to spread his kingdom on this earth, but you choose it anyway because there's something inside of you that wants it, just like uh, that cherry Coke and Big Mac. So we know that fast food is not good for us based on what we know about health and nutrition. We know what is morally and spiritually bad for us based on what the Bible tells us. In Paul's time, people had, uh, people had what we know now as, as the Old Testament, right? So the first, what we call it the first half of the Bible. I mean, and technically it's like, if you look at the number of pages, it's more like the first two thirds or three quarters of the Bible. Um, and so when, whenever you read the law and the prophets, whenever that's in referenced in the New Testament, the law and the prophets, they're speaking about what we have as the Old Testament. And uh, he, uh, Paul, being uh, the Pharisee of Pharisees, as he called himself, Pharisees were religious leaders, experts in the law, like basically experts on the Old Testament. And so he knew that thing inside and out. And so he spoke to the, what we call the Old Testament frequently. And that's where our passage that we started with today, Romans 7, uh, 14 to like the first part of it, particularly like 14 to 20, where Paul is saying um, how he appreciates the law, right? He's aware of his sin nature because of the law. Reading in the law, reading in the Old Testament from places like Leviticus and Deuteronomy, what God wants for his people reading those things and then operating outside of those things, making choices that go against those things, makes Paul aware of where he's lining up with what God wants for his life and where he's not. The things that add to his life and glorify God and the things that do not. It makes him aware of when he chooses to go against God and when he chooses to go with God. So he loves the law because it helps him kind of find his lane and stay in his lane, right? But at the same time, the law doesn't bring salvation. The law doesn't, the law can't forgive your sins. It just makes you aware of them. So Paul is wrestling in verses 14 to 20. He's wrestling with wanting to be good and wanting to do good, but failing to carry it out. We don't know what exactly it is he, he does. He doesn't tell us. That which I want to do, I don't do. That which I don't want to do, that is the thing I keep on doing. That's all he tells us. We don't know exactly what Paul's struggle was, what his sin was, what was Paul's McDonald's, right? We don't, we don't know, but we know that he's wrestling and he really wants to live out God's will for his life. Well, the rest of that passage, like who will rescue me from this? Thanks be to God. It is the Lord through Jesus Christ. And I think that that wrestling is captured really well in Paul's words. And, and as we read this, and, and I think a lot of us, that whole like that, the, the thing I don't want to do, I keep doing, and the thing I don't want to do, I, uh, or the thing I want to do, I don't do, and the thing I don't want to do, I keep doing, that wrestling 
if if you have ever experienced sin in your life, if you, if you have ever experienced a moment where you're like, God wants this, but I did this, or God wants this, but I want this, and then you choose what you want over what God wants, and then you regret it, and then you go back and you repeat it, or you just replace this thing with another thing that's not what God wants for your life. You can empathize with Paul's words. You can understand what he's saying that I don't want to keep doing this. Like I only want to do what God wants me to do. But here I am again, doing the opposite of what God wants for my life. And he says, what a wretched man I am. So my guess is that that probably everybody here and everybody joining online, like there's probably been a time in your life as God is refining and a love. We sang some powerful words um, that speak to this. Um, God is doing some refining work in your life as he's calling you closer to him. As you are getting closer to Jesus, I love there's this old expression that says we should follow so close to our rabbi that we're covered by his dust, right? So you're getting so close to Jesus that the dust that's kicked up from his sandals is starting to cover you. It's like the more you know, the more you know you don't know. The closer you get to Jesus, the more you've got to shed. And that's the battle that Paul is putting on display in Romans 7 for us. And we can empathize with that as we become more like Jesus. But we've got to be careful not to just take this stuff that's not what God wants for me and blame it on the devil. Now, sometimes the devil's got his hands in the mess of our lives and he's like throwing us off and distracting us and tricking us and convincing us of things that are just not true. But like the devil made me do it. We got to be careful because you have a choice and I have a choice. And when we engage that choice to go against what God wants, like we can't just blame it on the devil and, and then expect it that to make it okay. Right. Um, we still need to go to the Lord and say, okay, so, so maybe like the serpent in the garden, I listened to those whispers. I listened to those lies and I chose to believe them. And I made the wrong choice. I went the wrong way. Lord, will you forgive me? Lord, will you redeem me? Lord, will you fix what I have broken? Lord, will you restore my heart? We read in the Old Testament, like remove this heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. There, there's a beautiful, beautiful uh, prayer of repentance in the Old Testament in Psalm 51. And I want to read a portion of that for you. So, so King David, the only person in the Bible called a man after God's own heart, right? So a great example for us to look to. King David was up on the roof one night and he saw a woman bathing on the roof of her home. And he was like, Ooh, so he made it possible to sleep with that woman, even though she was married to another man, he made her pregnant. And then he was found out that he slept with somebody else's wife and got her pregnant and then uh, was trying to figure out how to orchestrate things so that he could make her his wife and raise their son as his own. And so he sent her husband, who was a faithful servant in the king's army, out into battle and rigged it so that Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, uh, was killed in battle. So killed because his whole army went out with him. And then King David gave the instructions for everybody to fall back. So Uriah was literally hung out to dry and he was killed. And then he made Bathsheba his wife. So a man after God's own heart, but like he did this, 
when God wanted him to do this, you know what I'm saying? And so like even the best of us make some pretty bad calls. When he was found out, this is how David responded. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away my inequity and cleanse me from sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you were right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desire faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. And this is the best part. This is the best part of this prayer. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me out from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. So when you find yourself in like this place, right? The wretched man place, the, that which I don't want to do, I keep doing. And that which I do want to do, I, I don't do that thing. Pray like David in Psalm 51. Create in me, God, a pure heart. Draw me to you. Bring me back to the joy of your salvation. The beautiful thing is that's an Old Testament prayer, but on this side of the cross and the empty grave and on this side of Pentecost, everybody who believes in Jesus and has said, you, I want you to be my Lord and I'm going to live my whole life for you. We have the power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in us so that we can just cry out to God and say, I am sorry. I don't want to do that thing anymore. Help me. I pray often for conviction. Lord, convict me. Make me feel so like, ah, about this thing that I stay away from it. Because that's what I need. So whatever it is that you need, I want to encourage you to take that to the Lord and know that through the power of the Holy Spirit, he hears you. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God, interceding on our behalf right now. He will meet you and he will help you. So here's what I'd like to do uh, to wrap up. Um, I want to create space for us to just take this to the Lord, this, whatever this thing is to the Lord. Now, maybe, maybe you don't have anything in your life that comes to mind. Maybe you don't have a thing that you keep returning to, or you keep struggling with, regardless of the fact that it doesn't add value to your life, or you know, it's not healthy for you. And if that's the case, thank the Lord in this time of prayer, that that's where you're at. But I'm willing to bet that most of us have something that we want the Lord to refine us in. And so I want to create some space. Let's, let's pray together. Um, bow your heads. I'm going to read to kind of start us in this prayer. I'm going to read from Romans 12. This is from the message paraphrase. So it'll sound a little bit different than, than what we're typically used to hearing from the Bible. But this is my, this is my prayer for you. And then we're going to, 
we're going to leave it open for just a minute or so for you to specifically to God say, this is my thing. This is my McDonald's. This is the thing that I keep going back to. One thing, just pick one thing that I keep going back to, even though I know it's not great for me. These are Paul's words. So here's what I want you to do. God helping. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you, for it is by grace through faith that you are saved. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. So reflecting on David's prayer to create in me a new heart, reflecting on John's words that just confessing our sins in the knowledge that God is faithful and will forgive us and purify us, your thing. Take that thing to the Lord and just say, God, I lay it before you as an offering. Do in me whatever it is that only you can do that you want to do in this moment.